If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 688. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. This is B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. Support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com, purchasing one or 20 classes there. You also get the free class when you enroll. It's a great win-win. You get great content. You keep the podcast free of charge. You can also click on the Super Thanks button on YouTube if you're watching on YouTube. It's right under the video. You can go to the Support tab at brianmcclanahan.com, throw a few pennies my way. You can go to anchor.fm, subscribe there. Lots of great ways to support the show financially. Also, you can... Uh, click on the shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. Share the podcast around on social media. Let people know that you love it. And also send me those show requests if you want to hear something. I do appreciate those. All right, well, let's talk about the topic. And this is a piece that appeared in American Thinker on state elections. Now, This is an important piece in a lot of ways, because I think that we tend not to differentiate between federal elections and state elections. The Constitution is very clear about elections, and the states control elections. Now, over the years, of course, we've added several layers to this through the Constitution, through amendments. For example, the 15th Amendment, the 19th Amendment, the 26th Amendment. We've added some layers, also poll taxes. uh, Now, you couldn't charge a poll tax... In federal elections, now the courts have deemed that expands out to state elections. But the the founding generation was very clear that the states controlled elections. They controlled who could vote, who couldn't vote. This is because the states were the building blocks of the central authority. And so the only federal prohibitions on elections, really, are that you can't charge a poll tax. You can't deny someone under 18 the ability to vote. You can't deny someone the ability to vote based on sex. And you can't deny someone the ability to vote based on race. Those are the four requirements. And of course, we know there can't be any religious test because that's in the Constitution as well. So five. Uh, We also know that there are requirements in the Constitution for who can serve in government. But outside of that, uh, there are no requirements. Uh, These states, for example, this was, was discussed, could lower the voting age under 18 if they chose to do so. There's nothing to say they can't do that. Uh, there's nothing to say they can't charge or can't uh, have a some type of test requirement to vote. There's nothing that says they can't do that. In fact, I would even say with the poll tax, now it depends on how you would look at this, but you could even say there could still be a property requirement if you wanted to say you have to pay taxes to vote or uh, not, not, not a poll tax, but uh, some type of property requirement, something to say that um, you can vote. Now, that would be something that would be much more litigated, and I'm not certain that you would even get that through because of the prohibition on poll taxes. But you could come up with some type of legislation. Now, of course, you've also got the very many layers of federal legislation dealing with civil rights. So would a test fall under, for example, 
a literacy test? Would, would that would that be seen as a literacy test? Something that, uh, of course, states use to try to deny people the ability to vote at different times. Would that fall under that? So there's all kinds of these things that you'd have to litigate, right? But the states still control elections. They control their own elections at the state level, and they do control federal elections. The general government does have the ability to regulate these elections, and that is... Uh, to regulate these elections to a point, right? Uh, and I've talked about this on this podcast before. And this was a great fear among the opponents of the Constitution because there is the, the, the general government can intervene, they can interfere in state ability to control federal elections. Now, the intent of that is important. What the framers didn't want was, the, was for the states to simply abolish federal elections. So if the states didn't hold federal elections, it was thought, well, the general government had to protect itself and had to hold elections. And this is where uh, the state, the general government can make regulations on this to ensure that an election is held. But that doesn't mean they get to interfere in who qualifies as an elector, as the Constitution is very clear about in Article 1, for example. The states get to determine who the, the qualifications for electors, and it, it is for the most numerous branch of the state legislature. So whoever can vote for the state legislature can then vote in federal elections. Again, because the states are the building block of all this stuff. So this is the way it was recognized. I mean, states had, uh, they had all kinds of uh, regulations and restrictions on who could vote all the way up until the 20th century, late night, middle of the 19th century, and then to the 20th century. Even Thad Stevens, uh, and if, if you take my Radical Republicans class, which is coming up in a, just a little over a week, it's going to be available for purchase. It's a great class, but Thad Stevens talks about this. He says, look, the states can regulate all of this stuff. I mean... The, the, everyone recognized, even in the 19th century, the most ardent nationalists, that the states controlled elections. So this is a piece in American Thinker, and it's entitled Elections Belong to the States. It's by Ted Knoll. And it's, it's a good little piece because he brings this up. Um, now, Ted Knoll is an MD. He's, he's a, so he's a medical doctor. But that doesn't matter. I mean, people uh, you know, have uh, other degrees and other things besides history or, or uh, you know, politics, whatever it is. You, um, and and uh, lawyers, and people are, are thinking the right things, right? I mean, a medical doctor is a very intelligent person. So he says, with Governor DeSantis's firing of Soros-backed rogue Florida 13th Judicial Circuit State Attorney Andrew Warren, a very real question arises: What businesses does what business? I'm sorry, does a New York New Yorker have to do with elections in Florida? Yes, Soros has U.S. citizenship, but why is he poking his finger into Florida where he does not live? His three mansions are all in New York State. Well, this is a big question. I think this is a big question. It's a big question because we see this all the time. We've nationalized every election in the United States. And Soros well knows. And this is something I saw from Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who was Elaine in Seinfeld. She's put out a video. She's very energetic and charismatic. Um, I mean, her character in Seinfeld was hilarious. But, um, and she is very political. She's on the, very much on the left. And she's an appealing uh, person because of her personality. She's, again, very, you know, get, as I said, charismatic, energetic, smiling. And she's trying to get people in states to be interested in voting in state elections because the left has started to figure out, well, if we can control these state elections, we control more than what we do at the center. Now, they've always had their tentacles in the center because they know that's the general government they believe can do anything it wants. It's the do you can do anything you want to do government. But... The states have a lot of power, as DeSantis has shown in Florida, and as we've seen during this entire COVID mess, 
for the last couple of years. The states can do a lot of things. And it's amazing, after the Dobbs decision, you saw a lot of protests, but a lot of that has died down. And it's died down because I think the lefties have figured out, in their states, they still control the situation. And so they're starting to focus their energy now on states that they don't control. They're starting to forget about you know, California and New York because they're secure in those states. But they're starting to focus their attention on other states because they know if they could just get into those states, they could control the entire thing, right? The Dobbs decision only said, we're returning this back to the state legislatures where it belongs. So this is why the lefties, and by the way, anyone with some money is going to get involved in elections that don't affect them. For example, Liz Cheney in Wyoming. Why is Liz Cheney uh, receiving outside donations for an election for a primary election in Wyoming? Well, because you have outside people concerned that uh, Liz Cheney is going to go down or she's not going to go down and she's uh, and they want her to either be in Congress or not be in Congress. One of the greatest examples of this, I think, was back in the Obama administration. There was a, a, sen a U.S. senator election in Massachusetts that would swing the control of the Senate away from Obama. And there was tons of money sent into that Massachusetts Senate election, special election, and the anti-Obama candidate won, the Republican won. And it was, I mean, there was a lot of outside money. Again, because we have nationalized every election, this is really an issue. We don't have a federal Congress anymore where the states are represented by the senators. We have senators who just represent the United States now in many ways. And same thing with the legislature. Uh, when you have uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez talking about how the U.S. government has to do something about flooding in New York subways, well, what you've done, she's done is just nationalize the U.S. Congress. That's a great issue for the state of New York or for the city of New York to figure out. But why should someone in North Dakota be paying for subways in New York City? They shouldn't. This has always been the issue with internal improvements on all of these things. Nobody outside of these states should pay for anything in another state that deals just with that state. This, if you have a federal republic, that's the way things work. New York should take care of these things themselves. And North Dakota should also take care of its issues itself. Right? I mean, if they have... Uh, you know, they've got these little rattlesnakes out in the prairie that bury down, right? So in the winter, they come up. So if they want to eradicate these rattlesnakes or something, that's not something New York should be worried about in the Dakotas or, you know, something else going on in the Dakotas. Uh, it's, it's not their issue, right? But this is what happens when you nationalize every election, when you nationalize every issue. Now, the left, again, is starting to figure out that this doesn't always work this way. So the piece continues, for all state elections, it's very clear that the state legislature has the authority to write laws about how they are conducted. For example, the legislature in Florida could declare that elections for state office holders would only be on February 29th on Pi Day or some other silly rule. But as long as that rule is applied evenly and did not prevent any particular group or other, or of otherwise eligible Florida voters from voting, it would be legal. This is entirely true. Right, and this is for state elections, right? State elections only he's talking about here, right? Because these are not under the purview of the federal government. The same rule applies to voter registration. The 26th Amendment does require states to allow 18-year-olds to vote, but otherwise creates no other specific rules. States are fully free to restrict non-citizens from voting because the 26th Amendment only guarantees the franchise of citizens. Again, perfectly true. Just as where voter ID is perfectly legal because... There's nothing in the Constitution that says you cannot require an ID to vote. It's a, it's a perfectly legal thing to do. Now, the left will try to sell this as a civil rights violation, but when you have about 25 layers of, of a 
quote-unquote ID, it's very hard to see how anyone could be denied if they would just show one of these things that somebody, I don't care who you are, you're going to have this, right? We could go on and on with a long list of other possible rules, but not note that I have said absolutely nothing yet about federal elections. The National Voter Registration Act of 1993, so-called Motor Voter Law, lists a lot of rules about federal elections, so it's important to understand them. And he quotes from this. Federal election means any general or special election or any primary held solely or in part for the purpose of selecting, nominating, or electing any candidate for the office of president, vice president, presidential elector, member of the United States Senate, or member of the United States House of Representatives. In short, a federal election is one in which someone who serves a function in the federal government is elected, and the motor voter law only applies to those elections. Again, this is true. It applies to federal elections. The Help, vote, Help America Vote Act of 2002 adds a layer of federal bureaucracy to administering elections by funding various non-controversial bits of the mechanical parts of doing an election. For example, it can pay for voting machines and handicap access to polling places. Other laws have been passed to regulate how much a person can donate, how the funds can be used, and how they must be reported. But unless it's hidden very well, there appears to be no legal concern about who can contribute to my local city councilman's campaign, or for that matter, to a district attorney's campaign. This is where George Soros has chosen to meddle. This is true, right? So state elections are outside of the purview of the federal government. So there's no restrictions. I mean, George Soros could spend a billion dollars for uh, to, to help elect a state attorney general. They could do it because there's no restrictions on that. You could spend any kind of money you want, do anything you want, uh, as long as the state... You know, states don't hinder it, right? The states have control over this. The states can control outside money. They could do all this stuff for state elections. The state of Florida could say we're not allowing any non-Florida resident to send money to a state of Florida election to donate to a candidate in the state of Florida. We're just going to shut that down. You can't do that. Non-state, uh, non non-citizen of the state of Florida cannot donate to a Florida campaign. They could do it, or you know, some other. Uh, some other restriction. They could do this kind of stuff. This is exactly right. The Florida 13th Judicial Circuit State Attorney is an officer of the state of Florida. Only registered voters in that part of Florida can vote in his election. And he's elected to uphold the laws of Florida within that circuit. We must ask, what part of that circuit is in New York? And the answer is intuitively obvious to the most casual observer. None. The Florida 13th Judicial Circuit is not in New York. So why is a New Yorker allowed to finance a campaign for that district attorney? It makes no sense what's whatever. We might take this a step further. If I live outside the 13th Judicial Circuit but vote in that election, I've committed a crime. If my vote is counted, it offsets a legal vote from within the circuit, disfranchising disfra- uh, someone who has a lawful right to have his vote counted. So why is George Soros allowed to fund that campaign? He has no rightful voice in it, yet his millions fund all sorts of campaign ads, which the Supreme Court has equated to speech with Citizens United. If these campaigns within a state truly belong to the voters of that state, then it's only appropriate for them to fund candidates they support without any interference from outside. This is a great point. And I think this is a call to arms for people interested in trying to knock out people like George Soros, or even this issue with Julie Louis-Dreyfus, because what's going on there is that uh, some of these leftist magazines, like I think it's Slate she was talking about, I can't remember now, um, are interested in uh, funding elections in states. So they've, they've figured out that there's no restrictions on this stuff. 
So what the conservative states to do, what the Republicans in these states can do, and I'm talking to you, if you think locally, act locally, people, what you should be doing is prohibiting outside money, meaning non-citizen money, from being spent in state elections. You should try to do that. It's imperative because what's happening here is you've nationalized now state elections, state and local elections, even, you know, down to a district attorney. Or what about a mayor or, you know, in some of these contentious areas? I know Soros is pumping money into Northern Virginia, for example, in school district races. This has been going on. So what should happen here is these states, now the leftist states may not care, right? I mean, they, they might welcome this kind of thing. But if you're in a state where the, the conservatives still control the state and you want to block that outside influence, it's something you should take up and do. Block the outside money. Now, to my mind, there might be some of these things on the book. I don't know. I mean, it, these things could be out there. Uh, I haven't investigated this fully to see if some states have already done this or not. But uh, this is something that states should be doing. And if the federal government butts its nose in this, then it's doing something that's illegal. Right? This is, this is, I think that it's clear that that would fail if, they, if the federal government tried to say that this was unconstitutional. I, I mean, I think that that would be a clear violation of the U.S. Constitution and should be knocked down. Now, who, who knows? Some federal court could do it. Uh, but that's something that, again, uh, the... the uh, unless we have uh, some type of uh, mechanism where states can invalidate uh, federal court decisions, which is, you know, nullification, um, that's something that is, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're without, right? I mean, nullification is there, but the states have to be willing to use it. The piece continues, why should Liz Cheney be able to raise more money from Northern Virginia than her home state of Wyoming? This would mean something very simple, as far as I can tell, totally lawful. The state can restrict all campaign funding to donors who are domiciled in that state. That fancy words mean that they live there. I live in Orange County, Florida, so if that were the law, I would contribute to campaigns in Florida. George Soros could not. Under Citizens United, corporations can contribute as well, but again, we Floridians, we require them to be domiciled in Florida. Amazon.com is domiciled in Washington State, so it and Jeff Bezos, who also lives there, will be excluded. On the other hand, Darden Restaurants, Severbank, Harris Corporation, and Winn-Dixie would be just fine since they are all domiciled in Florida. So this is, I mean, this is a great point. I think that this piece, again, should be a wake-up call to state legislators. And it's, I'm, I'm glad that it was run in American Thinkers. A lot of people read that website. Um, this is something people should be thinking about. He says, as I search through the mountains of federal campaign finance rules, I find no rules addressing geographic limits on contributions. There's a lot of record-keeping and reporting, but I found nothing to suggest that Florida could not adopt a similar restriction on state, on Senate or House races. Senators and Congress critters are elected from single states. They represent voters in those states. So why would Georgia allow left-coast billionaires to buy two senators from Georgia? Could it be that John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock simply did not have the support in Georgia without a bunch of walking-around money for people who might not otherwise vote? Or do they need money to hire mules to stuff ballot boxes? Again, this is, a, this is a big question. I think he's on to something here, too, about federal law. There are no restrictions outside of the few things we put in there. So could they say that you can only donate? You can only donate if you live in these states, in your district. Now, we know the lefties in Congress aren't going to do this. And we, I believe that the Republicans wouldn't even do this either because they rely on money from outside entities to finance themselves, right? They go in there and they get rich on outside entities. 
you're not going to become a millionaire in Congress if you don't have somebody from the outside funding what you're doing. You're not giving you something, right? And so this is where I think you're going to have a hard time getting this at the federal level, but certainly at the state level. And the important thing is we need to understand that the states control so much in our federal system that just by simply getting the states to do this would be a win. Because in your state, in this case, in the state of Florida, where this individual lives, if Florida could just have something like this, well, that would be a win for the state of Florida. And, of course, by default for the citizens of Florida, because they would be free from outside interference in their own state elections. And the states, as James Wilson pointed out in the State House Yard speech in 1787, can do just about everything under the sun that's not prohibited by the Constitution. There's not a whole lot there. And so the federal government should be limited in these things, and the states could take a much more active and aggressive role in knocking down federal power. This is what we need to be thinking about. This is the whole premise of thinking locally and acting locally. He says, if all the money had come from Georgia, it's unlikely that either Ossoff or Warnock would have been elected. But with Zuckerberg, Zuckerbucks, they had cash to do all the things they wanted to do, including the illegal ballot stuffing that Dinesh D'Souza and his team documented. So, um, first of all, let me say something about Georgia. Um, I think that Georgia, when you say it's a legal ballot box stuffing, I mean, yeah, okay. Uh, I don't, I'm not certain that a lot of this, Georgia just played by the rules better than the Republicans did. And I mean that. The rules were there to allow them to do this. We know that there was a lot of things going on that we would say, well, that's a little shady, right? I mean, that's, you shouldn't be able to do that. But they were legal. What's happened in Georgia now is they've cut down some of these things. And so I'm not so certain Georgia's going to repeat what happened. We know in 2020, with all of the COVID nonsense, there was a lot going on there with uh, states doing things they shouldn't be doing with rules for elections that they can't get away with, say, in 2022 or 2024. And it's really going to be interesting to see how the numbers look in those two elections uh, compared to 2020 with voting. Now, the left, I'm sure, is going to set that up and say, well, they disfranchised people. People couldn't vote because they said they couldn't vote. They, they changed all the rules. People now can't vote. This is, how, this is going to be their, their uh, talking point, right? All these people didn't vote because they were disfranchised. But we know it's probably not the case. We know they didn't vote because they probably really didn't vote anyways. Um, this is, so it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Um, but certainly, having states control state elections and in this case, he's making a point for federal elections if you have rules on money, uh, potentially, right? I mean, this is something that uh, you know, the, the Congress could look at. I just don't have any faith that Republicans are going to be willing to do this either. They make too much money on the outside as well. Elections are affairs run by states for the benefit of the citizens of those states. There is no justification for allowing out-of-state actors to massively fund in-state campaigns. This makes the individual voter feel like he has no ability to influence either a campaign or his elected representative. But when funding is restricted to in-state actors or even in-district in actors, the concept of representation becomes much more real. Again, a great point. This is a real think locally, act locally position here. The states could restrict these things and they should be looking at it. And I know there's people that are in legisl state legislatures who listen to this podcast. Think about it in your state. Think about doing something like this, if it's not already on the books, to restricting this kind of activity to in-district and in-state. If there's no money there coming from outside forces, well, 
then you have um, uh, the, the in-district thing is really restrictive, right? So think about the state of Florida. I mean, you have people all over the state that could influence you know, district elections in other places uh, because it impacts the state as a whole. So uh, in-district would be very restrictive because you're saying only these people. This is, this is, by the way, kind of a Hume look at an ideal republic. It's kind of interesting he's doing this. Because Hume thought that you would decentralize everything so much that no one could influence anything from outside of those districts. That was the whole point. You couldn't, you couldn't have a focused concentration of money anywhere because it would be so decentralized, no one would know where to put all the dollars. So you would have a situation where only the people in those areas had influence in those elections. This is, I mean, this, this is decentralizing to a real extent. And I mean, I think, again, maybe Dr. Noel is onto something here, right? If you want to have the ideal republic where you don't have any corruption from the outside, you decentralize and you say, okay, you can only fund in your district. That's it. If you don't live in that district, you can't pay for any other campaign. You can't pay for any other candidates outside of that. Now, how does this apply to, say, a presidential candidate? Right? The president supposedly represents everyone. So should uh, you know Joe Biden or Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton or Mike Pence or whoever it is, should they be able to fundraise in every state? That's a big question. Or should it then be, well, we have electors, right? So what they'd have to do is actually get the electors who would vote for Trump or vote for Biden or vote for whoever. Would they be the ones then that would have to raise money, the slate of electors in that area, to, and who, you would actually be voting for an elector now. You wouldn't be voting for Trump. You're voting for the Trump elector. You're voting for the Biden elector. This, this would change everything in how you think about fundraising if you could do that. Because the president, of course, is not really elected by the people. He's elected by electors. Right, so could you focus this then? Well, if you're not, you have these electors. Well, I'm going to support Donald Trump. Vote for me. I'm going to support Joe Biden. I'm going to support Hillary Clinton. I'm going to support Mike Pence. I'm going to support Liz Cheney. Whoever it is, whoever, whoever, you know, I'm going to support Mike DeSantis. I'm sorry, Ron DeSantis. I'm going to support Ron DeSantis. Um, whoever it is uh, that is out there, right, that uh, that's going to support these people, you vote for that elector. And they have to campaign. Now, that would then become very tricky. Uh, could, the, could the overall campaign, uh, the Donald Trump campaign, the Biden campaign, fund then ads and things in those districts? Could they give money to those people because that's their candidate? This would be some things you'd have to work out. But I think this is a very interesting idea. He finishes up by saying, there's no legal impediment that I can find that prevents a state from enacting this sort of restriction. Further, there's no technical concern with extending it to the very district covered since computer databases can be queried very quickly to identify eligibility. If we truly want election integrity and limiting election participation to citizens who are directly impacted by the specific electoral context makes perfect sense. And I think that's, I mean, that's a, that's a nice point. Um, so, um, I, I like this piece. I think it was a very interesting piece and one that uh, is thought-provoking because this is something that goes back to that think locally, act locally mantra. And if you are a, a representative in a state, 
you should be thinking about this, right? You should be thinking about doing this and trying to restrict these things, particularly for state and local campaigns. The federal campaign, there'll be some other issues you'd have to work out. Uh, you know, for example, a state, now states, a United States senator represents the whole state. So therefore you should be able to, you know, anybody could, could participate in that if they're a citizen of that state or a member of the House of Representatives, just that one district. The president would be the hard one. And that would be one you'd have to really think out. But I think the elector's way is the way to go about it. Um, and the campaign certainly could, uh, you know, the, the person running for president might be able to fund money into that elector, uh, maybe. Uh, but, I mean, this is where you would start looking, well, I'm, I'm the elector for this person. I'm the elector for this person, right? So, uh, and then you'd vote for those electors. I don't know. I mean, that's something that you'd have to really start trying to work out. But, or you could just exclude presidential campaigns and say anybody can contribute and anybody can do anything you want because it's, it's truly a, a campaign that would cover the entire United States. All right. Great piece at American Thinker. I'll see you next week on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then. <laughs>